0: He's going to put that big letters up on the screen, uh, Senior Sunday, what a joy to be here and to worship the Lord and uh, how my heart fills with joy and thanksgiving for each of you and uh, your participation in all the projects that allow these young people uh, to begin at this age to make an impact on the lives of others, uh, not only in Costa Rica, but in San Antonio and, and everywhere they go the opportunity to share Jesus, and your prayers and support makes all that possible, and, and we appreciate that so much. Well, you know I'm not Steve, so uh, this is the fifth Sunday, and we've been doing our core values, but we got through with all seven of them. So I asked uh, my son, I said, what do you want me to do on Sunday? And he said, just, uh, just wing it, just free will and preach what you want to preach. So uh, I haven't preached in a long time, so I'm sorry you're the ones that get the brunt of me having not preached for a long time. And the last time I I preached, I had preached through an interpreter in in Costa Rica. And so when you preach an hour and he interprets an hour, that really makes a long service, you know, but uh, maybe we won't have to do too much interpretation today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I want to talk to you today about living among the landmines of life living among the landmines of life. I don't think we've ever quite been in a time like now. Everything that's going on in society, everything that's going on politically, everything that's going on in the, the uprisings and the upheavals of this society makes us wonder. I don't know if any of you have felt uneasy I don't know if any of you have felt overwhelmed, you know, when you have two bad choices, what choices do you really have? That's the only political statement I'll make today, but there's a moment that you feel overwhelmed. And so the Lord led me back to this particular portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24. Um, I'm going to read it in the message, but I'll probably refer to the King James beginning with verse 1. Jesus then left the temple. As he walked away, his disciples pointed out how very impressive the temple architecture was. Jesus said, you're not impressed by all this sheer size, are you? The truth of the matter is, there's not a stone in that building that is not going to end up in a pile of rubble. Later, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples approached him and asked, uh, Tell us when all these things are going to happen. What will be the sign of your coming that time is up or the end of the world? Jesus said, watch out for doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities, claiming I am Christ, the Messiah. They will deceive a lot of people. When reports come in of wars and rumored wars, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history. This is no sign of the end. Nation will fight nation, and ruler fight ruler over and over. Famines and earthquakes will occur in various places. This is nothing compared to what is coming. The the King James says, these are the beginning of sorrows, or these are the birth pains that's going to produce something. They're going to throw you to the wolves and kill you. Everyone hating you because you carry my name. And then going from bad to worse, it will be dog-eat-dog, everyone at each other's throat, everyone hating each other. In the confusion, lying preachers will come forward and deceive a lot of people. For many others, overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. King James says, because iniquity abounds, the love of many will wax cold. Staying with it. That's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry, and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom, will be preached all over the world, a witness staked out in every country, and then the end will come. King James puts it like this, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax gold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Living among the landmines of life. Well, you could tell they were mostly country boys, these followers of Jesus. You could tell not only by the clothes that they wore, but by their accent, that northern Galilean twang with which they spoke. In fact, on one occasion, a little servant girl looked at Peter and said, your speech doth betray you. You must be from up north. You must be from Galilee. They were simply country boys. And they were tourists in Jerusalem. And you could tell that by their excitement because they were gawking at all the buildings in Jerusalem. It would be like us going the first time to Manhattan or New York or maybe to London or Paris and Rome. You could tell right off we're tourists because we're walking around with our mouth hanging open looking at all the wonders and all the sights. So were they. They were especially amazed by one building, the temple. And why shouldn't they be? It was Herod's temple. It had taken 46 years for it to be built to completion. It was built on the foundation of Solomon's opulent temple. And it was built with white marble stones, some of them weighing over 400 tons, white columns that extended 37 and a half feet into the sky, plated with pure gold that Beautiful gate made out of Corinthian brass, 30 foot wide and 60 foot tall, which was the main entrance into the very courtroom of God. Every day you passed by that building, it caught your attention because as the sun would shine, it would reflect off the white marble and off the brass and the gold, and the rays of the sun would reflect with such brilliance that it was almost blinding. And they're gawking at the buildings wow they're amazed they're wondering at this marble temple it is the symbol of judaism itself it is the center of the national presence of god because the jews believe that in that holies of holies in that temple god dwelt between the wings of the cherubim over the ark of the covenant of course what they didn't know was that there was no ark in there but that's another message But as far as Judaism was concerned, this is the foundation. This is the very presence of God. And even to this day, though the temple has been destroyed, and all that remains is part of Solomon's wailing wall, they treat it with deep respect. And when you go into Jerusalem and you go into that court, that square that leads to the wailing wall, people will pass by going to work. But when they start past that wall, they may be walking like this, but the moment in the peripheral vision they see the wall of the temple, they turn and they face the wall all the way across the courtyard until they exit the square and then they turn and go on their business out of respect to the presence of God. You don't turn your back on the presence of God. And they are amazed at what's going on. And then all of a sudden their amazement turns to astonishment. Because that's exactly what Jesus, their leader, did. He stops, looks at this massive structure, which is the center of their religion, the foundation of their national identity, and he turns his back on the temple. And he walks away. And as he is walking away from the temple and walking away from Judaism, he says, are you astonished? Are you amazed at the sheer size and the grandeur of this building? I tell you what's going to happen. This building will collapse like a pile of rubble, like a house of cards. Every stone will be dislodged. Not one stone will remain upon another until all is nothing but a pile of rubble. Wow. They're absolutely astonished. So astonished that as they're going out of Jerusalem, they can't say anything. But the Bible said when he comes to the Mount of Olives and is seated, the disciples come to him in astonishment. And they say, tell us three things. Tell us when these things shall happen. And what shall be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the world? And immediately Jesus begins to ask, uh, answer those three questions. And you have to read Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 and Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. You have to study those in detail to understand what Jesus is saying. And Jesus begins to answer what they're saying. And he starts by telling them what's going to happen in their generation. Because you remember he said to them, this generation will not pass until everything I'm about to tell you happens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And he begins to tell them what they're going to face in the next 37 years. If this happened in approximately 33 AD, then everything Jesus describes in these opening verses took place by 70 A.D. And notice what he tells them is going to happen. He says, I want you to know that there's going to be eruptions and explosions in nature. Nature, that sin-scarred creation of God, is going to erupt and explode around you. And there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence in divers places. And not only will nature be in revolt, but society and culture will explode around you. And there will be wars and rumors of wars. And nation will rise against nation. And kingdom will come against kingdom. And when he used that term, nation and kingdom, he used the Greek word ethnos, from which we get the word ethnic. And so he said, all around you there will come upheavals and explosions of ethnic upheavals and revolts and you will find yourself pitted brother against brother and father against son and mother against daughter and all around you in culture itself there will come explosions and eruptions of nation against nation and then he said there's going to be some spiritual explosions as well. Because there will come false Christ and false prophets claiming to be the Messiah. And false teachers will arise among you. And they will lead many disciples out of themselves, after themselves, and away from God. And this is what you're going to face you're going to be betrayed you're going to be persecuted. They're going to deliver you up to the seat of judgment. And I don't want you to stop and think about what you're going to say. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And He will give you the ability to answer. And not only will they persecute you, and they will hate you for my name's sake, but they will deliver you unto death. And then He says, These are only the beginning of sorrows. These are the birth pains, that ultimately will produce my coming. And he gives them then the sign of his coming and the end of the world. And so what Jesus is telling them, in the next 37 years, that's what you're going to face as my followers. I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm leaving you in the world. And all around you will be these explosions of problems. Amen. It happened. Because you remember with me that by 70 A.D. Rome comes to Jerusalem and General Titus with his armies lay siege to that city. And after they have destroyed that city, Jerusalem is caught in a famine. Over 1.1 million people died in that famine. 97,000 Jews were taken captive to Rome. And what did Titus do to that temple? Exactly what Jesus said he would do. He turned every stone upside down. They destroyed the temple. They pulled the stones to the ground and they did it in order to find the gold. And so they moved every stone in order to find the gold so that they could melt it down and take it back to Rome. And by 70 AD, everything Jesus said was going to happen had come to happen. My word will never pass away. Well, That sounds really interesting. Because you see, his message to them was not so much about the sign or the date or the time of his arrival. His message to them was, I'm going to tell you in a general sense what is about to happen. But you must stay alert. You must stay watchful. You must be vigilant. You must be diligent. You must stay on guard because you do not know the day that the Son of Man comes. He said, not only do you not know it, but even the angels don't know it. And even the Son doesn't know it. Only my Father, which is in heaven, knows the exact date. And so what I want you to get out of what I'm trying to teach you is that you would be ready, that you would live watchful, that you would stay prepared for the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. Amen. He said, in such an hour as you know not, that day will come upon you. So you must stay on guard. He said you must not be overwhelmed by iniquity because iniquity is abounding and these birth pains get so powerful and you're affected by what's going on in nature and you're affected by what's going on in society and you're affected by what's going on in the spiritual realm. Your hearts would become overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and the cares of life. And that day would come upon you unawares because it's going to come like a snare and a trap upon everyone that dwells on the face of the earth. So you must be constantly on guard because if you're not careful, because iniquity abounds and increases, there will be nothing left of your love but a heap of ashes the love of many will wax, wax cold. In other words, he said, if you don't stay constantly on guard, what you'll find is that the overwhelming problems of this present generation will move you away from your relationship with God and you'll find your heart growing cold like an ash heap. Well, amen. And, and, and he was, he, he's such a good preacher because he believes as one example is good, then five or six better. He's my kind of preacher because that's exactly what he starts to do. The rest of Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the rest of Mark 13 and Luke 21 is Jesus' examples about staying ready. He starts by telling them that if the good man of the house knew what time the thief was going to come, he would have set a guard. He wouldn't have suffered his house to be broken into. He talks about a good serpent, the servant that feeds the, 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 the people and, and does his master's will and an evil servant that doesn't do his master's will. He talks about a man going on a country and he gives one five pounds and another two and another one and he expects them to put them to use and to have something to show when the master comes. Oh, and then he talks about five wise and five foolish virgins and he talks about sheep and goats and and we read all those... What's he trying to say? you got to stay ready. It's in the hour that you think not that the Son of Man's coming. I believe in the personal return of Jesus Christ. I believe in the imminent that it could happen any moment. In the personal, Jesus himself, who has gone to prepare a place for us, shall return again to receive us unto himself, that where he is there we may be also. It is imminent. It's personal. Amen. It's premillennial before he rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Or you can argue about what he's going to come before the tribulation or during the tribulation or after the tribulation. Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. One man said, I believe in pan-trib. It's all going to pan out. He's coming and I'm going. I'm going to stay ready for his appearing. And that's what he's trying to get across to his generation and to ours, that we have to stay ready. And you know the best example he gave? He said there will be two grinding at the mill. One will be taken. One won't be ready and left behind. There'll be two in a field. One will be taken and one will be left behind. There'll be two in the bed. One will be taken. You know what he's saying? There is no position or job. There is no possession. There is no personal relationship that can keep you from being prepared. It doesn't matter what meal you're grinding at. It doesn't matter what position or job you're working in. It doesn't matter what field you're on, and it doesn't matter what personal relationship you're in. It can't keep you from being ready if you want to stay on guard and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Amen. Well, you say, Brother Bob, that's really wonderful. Now, what does that mean to us today? Well, what it means to us is that we're in the same position they're in. We are living... Among the landmines of life. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, remember Genesis 1. Man is stamped and created in the image of God. In the likeness of God. The only part of creation that can contain God. We are created to know Him. And to enjoy Him forevermore. And then Genesis 3 happened. And Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. And because of that, you can describe it any way you want. You can do the old thing about an apple, or you can talk about Pandora's box. It doesn't matter. The moment man disobeyed God because of one man's sin and one man's disobedience, sin came into the world. And because of sin, death, and death passed upon us all because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And not only were we separated from God and contaminated by sin, but so was the whole world. Everything that God created that was good became evil. And out of the goodness of God, sin corrupts nature. And now uh, nature is under the corruptive influence of sin. And Satan became the prince of this world. And where God meant peace, there's hate. And where God meant love, there's war. And where God meant blessings, there's thorns and sin and sickness and tears and sorrow and hurt because all of corrupt as creation has been corrupted by sin and guess what that's where you're living in a world that is sin scarred the the curse hasn't been removed yet the world is still under the effects of the evil one the devil still claims to be the prince of this world And he says, all of the world is under my control. Well, all those without Christ are under His control. And nature itself is sin-scarred. And because of that, there's thorns. And there's the sweat of your brow. And there's sin and sickness and tears and pains and heartaches. And Paul says, all of creation is groaning. They're trembling. They're crying out that the day of the liberty of the sons of God would be revealed. Because when we're redeemed... Creation's going to be redeemed and restored. Oh, hallelujah. You're looking at me. Would you stay with me just a minute? Because you see, this is what he's trying to say. Remember what happened, but then you have to remember something else. God said, let's recreate it, let's redeem it. And so, God so loved this sin scarred world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He that knew no sin became sin for me. Jesus came and took my sins in his own body and nailed them to his own cross. And he that was spotless without sin and without guile, he became a curse for me, for cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. Jesus did that for me. The Bible said he was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might cause the works of the devil to come unglued. That they would lose consistency. That they can't hold together. Through death he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And the Bible said he went to the cross. And I want to tell you that was the battle and the war of the ages between Satan and evil and sin and the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. But I want to tell you the battle's over. And Jesus won. And while he's hanging on the cross for you and me, he looks up and he shouts, I want to tell you it's not a whimper of defeat. He may be in the agony of physical pain because of the sins you and I have committed. He may be suffering for our wrongdoing. A crown of thorns is upon His brow so that one day He can restore nature and remove the curse of sin. His back is open because of the stripes. His side is riven. But I want to tell you, it's not a whimper from the cross. It's a shout of divine triumph and divine victory. And He says it is now finished. It is paid in full. Hallelujah. And the Bible said, He triumphed over them in it. He, made a, he spoiled principalities and powers and He made a show of them openly and He triumphed over them in His cross. He guaranteed it by His resurrection. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph for His foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and He lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. And he conquered sin. And he conquered Satan. And he conquered death. And he conquered hell. And he conquered the grave. And the devil lost. And the devil is defeated. Uh, If you don't hear anything else I say, the devil is a defeated foe. He is defanged, declawed, and defeated. He only rules by the usurping of authority. You know what that means? If you don't give it, he can't take it. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and God will draw nigh unto you. Jesus has already defeated him. Oh, hallelujah. The battle's over. And Jesus won. Oh, praise God. That, that's why he says don't give place to the devil. Eschew evil. When evil comes in, stage right. You go out stage left. Don't give the devil a place in your life because he's a defeated foe and if you don't give it to him, he can't take it from you. Jesus won. The battle's over. Oh, but wait. Jesus said, I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm leaving you in it. I will keep you from the evil one. You'll be strangers and pilgrims and foreigners and aliens. You'll be in it, but you won't be of it. You won't operate by its energies, its efforts, its priorities, because you've been redeemed and restored, and you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You have been adopted into the family of God. Your names are written in heaven. You're baptized into the body of Christ, and you're looking for a kingdom, and your allegiance is to another king. But you're going to be in it. The only way I can describe it is after every war, after every battle is over. Do you know what happens? There's debris left on the battlefield. In fact, most of the debris is unexploded ordinances, artillery shells. Most of all, it's mines that were never exploded. When the Iraq-Iran war ended. On the border of Iran and Iraq alone, there's an estimated 24 million landmines that are still there. In 77 countries where there have been war and guerrilla conflicts and, and, and overt wars, there's estimated right now that there are 100 million landmines that are still on the battlefield just waiting for somebody unexpectedly to walk by. And when you get too close to them, they explode. Do you know how much they cost to make? Three bucks. They can make a personal landmine destined to do one of two things, to kill or to maim, for $3. And so they're very cheap, and they put them on every battlefield. The battle's over, but the landmines are still there. And every 22 minutes, one explodes. A farmer, a child, an animal gets too close to that hidden landmine. The debris of the the battle's over. The victory's already been won. But the battlefield is cluttered with landmines. And when someone gets too close, they go off and they kill and they maim and they destroy. In fact, they kill between seventy-seven and 90,000 people a year. And they took $3 to make. But it is estimated right now, we've already spent over $5 billion trying to remove the landmines from the battlefield. It's estimated that right now, if we could remove every one, it would take somewhere around $100 billion dollars and 11 centuries to remove all the debris. And what I'm trying to tell you is what Jesus is telling His disciples, He's telling us. He's saying, I want you to know that the battle is over. I've won. But there's still landmines. And I'm not taking you off the battlefield. I'm leaving you in the world. And if you get too close the landmine will go off. And you will be affected by it. Well, that's good news, isn't it? And yet we all know it's true. You know what kind of landmines he talked about? Landmines in, in, in creation. Sin's scarred nature. He said there's, there's famines and pestilence and earthquakes. And we would say tornadoes and wildfires and Tsunamis. And AIDS, do you know there's over 2 million people in Africa alone affected with AIDS? They estimate that within the next 20 years it could be 20 to 200 million. That the average age in Africa has decreased from 61 to 39 because of this landmine called AIDS. And now there's Zika and all these Do you understand? Because nature is scarred by sin, there's landmines in nature. Famine in Sudan has killed two million people. Four million people have been displaced. Were they all evil people? No, not at all. Don't you remember what Jesus said? He said, do you think those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on in Jerusalem were worse sinners than you? No, no, unless you repent. Were those Galileans that Pilate not only killed them, but mixed their blood with the sacrifices in the temple, were they worse sinners than everybody else? No, they got too close to the landmine. And the landmine exploded. And we're in this world. And because nature has been corrupted by sin, there's landmines. And when we get too close to them, they go off. I went to singing last night. One of my good friends led music in one of our churches for 38 years. Just a few years ago, his grandson, 8 years old, were one of the victims of the Moore tornado. He is a righteous man. He loves God with all of his heart. He sings with everything that is within him. He's done it all of his life since I've known him, since 1966. Do you think he's worse than any of us? that his grandson would die in a tornado. He got too close to the landmine. Well, you guys are really silent. And he said, not only is, is there landmines in nature that can affect you, but he goes on and says, there's landmines in culture, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He said, evil men and deceivers will wax worse and worse. He said, men will be lovers of their own self, heady, high-minded, incontinent, fierce. They will lead people into war. Do you think all the Germans were bad in World War II? No. Their leaders made those decisions. They died on the battlefield because of a decision that Hitler made. Do you think everybody in Japan was evil during World War II? No. The people were affected. Would you look, please let you're looking at me. Do you think everyone that, that is, is Islamic is bad? No. Culture has been scarred by sin. And men will seek and jockey for power and position. They do it out of greed and evil. And unfortunately, that's a landmine. And as long as we're in this culture, if we get too close, do you think all those policemen in Dallas that were killed were evil above all the other policemen in America? They got too close to a landmine. I, I am going somewhere. Would you? Say? And he said, not only that, but not only will there be landmines in nature that, that that if you're not careful, they will affect you and your family and in in society. But he said there'll be landmines in the church. And there'll be men that claim to be Christ and deceitful preachers like Hymenatus and Philetus, whose words do eat like canker or gangrene or cancer. They say the resurrection in past and they overthrow the faith of many. And they're going to arise false prophets and false teachers, and they'll lead men astray in the church. And if you get too close, <laughs> Brother Bob, that's not a very happy message. No, but it's a real one. And what Jesus is trying to say to us is the same thing He said to His followers. I'm not going to take you off the battlefield. You're going to live in this world. And because you live in this world, there will be landmines that go off around you. But I want to give you some assurances. I'm going to assure you of how you can live among the landmines of life. You know the first assurance He gave? Perseverance. He said, those that endure to the end, the same, they will be saved. Those that hold on to the end. Those that take hold of the kingdom of God. Those that take a sure grip of faith upon their faith and will not be shaken loose or let go. Those who are tenacious, bulldog tenacity. Those who are steadfast. Those who persevere to the end. Those that hang in there until I come. They're the ones that's going to be saved. And while the landmines are going off around you, there'll be some of you that will not lose faith, but you're going to hold on to the end. You will abide under him to the end. You will bear up under him. You will be courageous and you will not quit. You will have patience, which is steadfast endurance, and in your patience, you will possess your soul. Oh, hallelujah. He says, There will be some of you who keep your faith all the way to the end. No landmine exploding around you or affecting you can make you let go. For the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by faith. He said There's some of you that's got this tenacious faith, and you take hold of the promise of God. And no matter what explosion goes off, you will not let go. And it's that kind of faith that produces the promise, and that kind of faith that will keep you all the way to the end, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He said, do not be wearied in well-doing, for you shall reap in due season if you faint not. Max Lucado says there's a Brazilian word for that. It's called gara, G-A-R-R-A. Probably not pronouncing it right. But gara means nails or claws. And and though it means fingernails or claws, it it is a word they use to make you know that you're going to persevere. They say there's some people that's got gara. There are people that have claws and nails and they reach out and take hold of the rock and no matter what happens in their life they will not be shaken loose and it's those kind of people that are going to win because the Bible said He's made us a nail in the holy place. We are anchored to the rock and no matter what explosion goes off in our life or around us we will not let go. Best example I know is uh, Ben Hur. Any of you seen Ben-Hur there's getting ready to be a remake. I knew somebody had finally do it. Regional Ben-Hur had Charlton Heston in it. It was produced by Cecil B DeMille. They didn't have computers. And so the main scene of Ben-Hur is the chariot race in the arena at Rome. Well, they didn't they, they Charlton Heston had to drive the chariot because they couldn't use a stand-in because it's all close-ups and they didn't have computers. And Charlton Heston comes to DeMille and says, i got news for you. I can't even drive that chariot. And DeMille says, you keep practicing. You keep trying. You, he said, I can't. Uh, there's eight horses. He said, I, 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 he said, you keep trying. Heston worked and worked and finally came back to DeMille. And he said, sir, I can drive the chariot. But there's no way I can win the race. And DeMille looked at him and said, son, you stay in the race. I'll make sure that you win. You you know what the Lord's saying to you? (laughs) That even in the explosions of life, there's going to be those that hold on to the end. Those that endure. Those that are tenacious. Those that are steadfast. Those that stay in the race. And those that persevere and stay in the race. They are the ones who will win. But he said, not only do I give you the assurance of perseverance, I give you the assurance of performance. While the landmines are going off, this gospel will be preached into all the world. In the middle of all the iniquity, in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of all the explosions and the upheavals, nothing can stop the performance of us preaching the gospel to every nation. In other words, what he said is no matter what landmine goes off in your life, it can't keep you from fulfilling the purpose of God. You're going to keep performing. Oh, hallelujah. You're going to keep preaching. You're going to bring the witness of the good news of the gospel into all of the world. Hey, quickly, that, that's what he's he saying about Paul. Oh, I know, we talk about his thorn in the flesh and nobody knows what it was and we try to make it his eyesight and he said it was a messenger of Satan to keep him from being lifted up in his revel. It doesn't matter what it was. Paul said, I asked three times. I petitioned God. This is, this is not Bob. This is Paul, the Lion of God, the Apostle to the Gentiles, the one that says, I speak in tongues more than you all. This is Paul. And Paul says three times from the depth of his heart, Lord, remove this from me. And the Lord says, my strength was completed in weakness. When you're the weakest, I'm the strongest. And I'm not going to remove the thorn, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you grace. And my grace is sufficient for you. And that weakness in your life, that landmine that's exploding in your life can never keep you from fulfilling the purpose of God. It will not debilitate you. It will not keep you from performing and preaching the good news all the way to the end. Paul said, "Therefore, I glory rather in my infirmities, because I've run with patience the race that's set before me. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith, and now there's a crown of righteousness. Because nothing the devil could throw at me could keep me from doing what God told me to do, because God's grace." Oh, Hallie, and you know the platform that we operate off of, ten sixty six A.D. William of Normandy invades England. England was a mighty force. They'd never been defeated on a foreign field, and they'd never been defeated at home. But William of Normandy had a secret. He had invented something. You know what he invented? The stirrup. Up until that time, a horse was an unstable platform. And the soldiers would ride their horses to the battlefield. And then, because they were so unstable, they would dismount and fight. But not William. He invented the stirrup. And now when he rides the horses to the battlefield, it's a stable platform. And he rides with strength and power over England and wins the victory. Do you know what? In our battle, we don't fight in our own power. We have a platform. You know what it is? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will receive ability and efficiency and might and you'll be a witness for me. And no matter what landmine's going off, you'll still perform. And then he said, I give you the performance, not only of perseverance, assurance of perseverance and performance, I give you the assurance of perfection. There'll be some that endures to the end. they will be saved. You'll preach the gospel as a witness, and then the end will come. And when he uses this term end, he uses the Greek word teleos, which means completion, maturity, perfection. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to assure you. The end is coming. The time of perfection will arrive. And when the end comes, everything that was imperfect becomes perfect. Everything that was incomplete is completed. I believe in heaven. You know why I believe in heaven in the end? Because it's the end of everything sin tried to do. All the imperfection. All the corruption. Jesus said the former things are now passed away. And there there'll be no more night. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more curse. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more tears. All those landmines will be done away with. Because you know what Jesus said? I... Make all things new. He did not say, I make all new things. He said, I'm going to restore this earth. The old heavens and the old earth will be renovated and restored. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells completion and righteousness. I make everything new. I'm going to restore the vigor. I'm going to restore the vitality. I'm going to restore the life. Everything that you think is incomplete, when you get to heaven and the end comes, it will be a time of completion. A time of perfection. Oh, that might not mean anything to you, but it does to a lot of people sitting here. Because there's a lot of you sitting here and suffering and sorrow, landmines going off in your life. And that what you treasured and held dear seems to have exploded and been taken away from you. But I want to tell you, it's not taken away from you. You didn't lose it. Because there, He's going to make it new. And everything that you think you've lost here is completed up there. You know why it means something to me? Because of my mama. I admit it, I'm a mama's boy. I had to be. My dad left when I was nine years old and Mom cleaned houses. And mom washed other people's clothes. And mom took every menial job that she could so that Bob could go to high school. So that Bob could go to the University of Oklahoma. Everything I have in my life, the foundation is from my mama. She made it happen. I still don't know how. But she made it happen. Everything, the foundation of who I am as a person, is from my mom. I didn't have a daddy. well I had coaches, and I had teachers, and I had a boss who took me under his wing for three years and taught me about working. And, and And I'm I'm so grateful for that person. He's in heaven now. But it was my mama. My mama was a kind, gentle person. Hardly ever saw my mama angry. She always thought the best of everybody. I, I if I err, I'm going to err on that side. Because I'm my mama's boy. The only time I ever saw my mama get really angry was when a dog tried to bite Steve when he was delivering papers, and she felt like the lady had let the dog out, and she went and gave her a piece of her mind. I can tell you that. <laughs> my mama loved my kids, our kids, and my mother would have loved our grandchildren her great-grandchildren. She died when she was 77. She had congestive heart failure, had to amputate one leg. I watched her go through that suffering in the nursing home, phantom pains. She'd look at me with tears in her eyes and say, son, my leg hurts so bad. She had no leg. I wept with her. And every time my grandkids do something, whether it's on a ball field or on a mission trip, they up there singing. The first thought that comes to my mind is my mother would love that. She would have loved them so much. And the devil switched over and says, never going to be completed. Jesus said, I want to give you this assurance. One day, if you will abide faithful to the end, what you think is incomplete, you can think about heaven as a shade tree and a glass of lemonade if you want to. But I tell you what I think heaven is. He makes everything new and everything the devil's told you that you lost and every moment that you didn't get to share and everything that is undone and is never going to be completed, uh-uh. When you get there, you have 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 years and there everything that's incomplete is going to be made perfect and complete there and everything you thought you lost, you're going to get back. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, I give you that assurance, but there's one other assurance. He said, the the biggest assurance I give you is this. While the landmines are going off, you'll always have my presence. No matter what has exploded in your life or what will explode in your life until Jesus comes, it can never separate you from my presence. I am with you always. Always even to the end of this generation. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but lo, I am with you always. And when he said, I am with you always, in the Greek he did it really different because their dictation and and structure is different than us. And he really said, I, with you always, am. You know what that means? He's got you right in the center of his presence. And no exploding landmine of life can ever separate you from the presence of God. His name is Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. He is an ever-present help in the time of need. And regardless of what's going off around you, he is here just for you. He's above you because like an eagle, he feathers over his young. He is below us, for underneath are the everlasting arms. He is behind us, because He's our rear guard. He is before us, because the Lord has always been set before me, and He is at my right hand, and I will not be moved. And He is around us, because He gives His angel charge over you, and the angel of the Lord encamps around about those that love God, and no matter what explosion goes off in your life, it cannot separate you from the presence of God. High nor death nor principality nor power nor death nor demons nor any other thing can ever separate you from his presence because he's right there with you and not only is he above and beneath and around but he said and I won't forsake you because I'm within you he literally said I will not leave you orphaned and abandoned but my father and I we will come and we will make our dwelling in you. So he's not only around you and above you and beneath you and beside you, but he's within you because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And regardless of what explosion comes, it cannot separate you from the assurance of his presence. We used to sing about this, and I'm going to close with this. Because I haven't sung it for a long, long, long time. But we used to sing about this time. And it goes like this. I'm watching for the coming of a glad millennial day. When our blessed Lord shall come and catch His waiting bride away. Oh, my heart is filled with rapture as I labor, watch, and pray for our Lord is coming back to earth again. Jesus coming back will be the answer to earth's sorrowing cry. For the knowledge of the Lord shall fill the earth and sea and sky. God shall take away all sickness and the sufferer's tears will dry. When our Savior will come back to earth again. Then the, then the sin and sorrow, pain and death of this dark world shall cease. in a glorious reign with Jesus of a thousand years of peace. All the earth is growing crying for that day of sweet release. For our Jesus shall come back to earth again. Yes, the ransom of the Lord shall come to Zion then with joy and on all his holy mountain nothing hurts or shall destroy. Perfect peace shall reign in every heart and love without a boy. after Jesus shall come back to earth again. Our Lord is coming back to earth again. Our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then after Jesus shall come back to earth again. And I got two new ones Because I knew most of you don't know the old One One of them Is this really new And it says Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wondering Never changes what you see I try to win this war I confess my hands are weary I need your rest Mighty warrior king of the fight No matter what I face You're by my side When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Even in the landmines. And then this one says, when I walk through deep waters, I know that you will be with me. When I'm standing in the fire, I will not be overcome. Through the valley of the shadow, I will not fear. For I am not alone alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. In the midst of deep sorrow, I see your light is breaking through. The dark of night will not overtake me. I am pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle, and I will not fear. I am not alone. I am not alone. You go before me. You will never leave me. You amaze me. Redeem you. Redeem me. You call me as your own. You're my strength. You're my defender. You're my refuge in the storm through these trials you've always been faithful you bring healing to my soul because I am not alone and neither are you I want you to stand with me landmines in nature unexpected we get too close In society, right, upheavals, we get too close. False Christ and false prophets and deceiving preachers get too close. But in the middle of it, Jesus said, I want to tell you something. There'll be those of you that hold on to the end. You'll be saved. There are those of you that are going to go on preaching and performing regardless of what explosion goes on. And one day soon, the end will come. Total perfection. But until that happens, I'll give you the signs. I'll tell you what the sign of my coming will be. You can read the rest of it. He tells them. But he said, until then, this is the main thing I give you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. You're never alone. And when he doesn't answer like you think he ought to answer When the explosion happens, I will trust in Him. For the Lord shall come back to earth again one day. Satan will be bound a thousand years. Everything will become new. All the landmines will be put under His feet. But until then, He never leaves me. Two things. I got a message for some of you that are going through explosions or maybe facing explosions you don't even know about yet. You can make it till the end. You can persevere because perfection's coming. And he's never gonna leave you. You can trust in him. You're never alone. And then I got a message for some of the rest of you. Are you ready? In an hour that you think not, the Son of Man comes. Are you ready? Two at the meal, on the job, one ready. Two in a field, one ready. Two in a bed, personal relationship, one ready. One left. So the simple question is, which one are you? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord if not you can be right now right here if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus you shall be saved whoever heads bowed for just a moment if you're not ready you, you need to do a personal inventory if you're not ready right where you're standing would you simply pray that prayer try my heart search me oh Lord know my heart right now see if there be any wicked way in me anything that would keep me from being ready take it out of my life take sin out of my heart help faith to rise up within me come into my heart oh Lord Come in today. Come in to stay. Would you? Would you just pray, Father, right now? Help each one of us to know your Spirit bearing witness with our Spirit that if you came right now, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, with the trump of God and the shout of the archangel, that not only would the dead in Christ rise first, but we which are alive and remain faithful will be caught up together with you. Help us to be ready. And now I want us to pray in another way and we'll close. There are some people here you stepped on a landmine. You got close and it exploded and you're affected by it. There's probably some of us in days to come if Jesus tarries that we're going to get close to landmines without even knowing it. But he said, don't worry. Don't fret. Perfection's coming. Until it comes, my peace is going to always be with you. My presence is going to be right there. I wonder if just for a moment I'd like for us to pray for one another, but I want us to pray intelligently. And you would simply say by an upraised hand, Brother Bob, you're right. I, the battle's over and Jesus has won. And I know that. But a landmine has gone off in my life. And I've been affected by it. And I've been hurt by it. And there's tears and pains and sorrow and hurt and sickness. And I need his assurance this morning. I need His presence. Would you just slip up your hand? Just, 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 just raise it up. I, I've stepped on a landmine. Yes. Others. I. Some of you are suffering with sickness. That's a landmine. Loss. That's a landmine. Sorrow. That's a landmine. You just slip up your hand. Just hold it up for a moment. Because I, what I want some of you to do is to look around, and you'll see these hands. And I want you. To, you'll have to slip out of your seat. But would you just go to those people whose hands are up so that we can pray the prayer of God's presence over them? Over here, son. Here, son. Brother Bob, there's landmines going off. And I want to endure to the end. I know perfection's coming. I want to keep performing. But most of all, I need His presence. I need His presence. I want you to go to them right now. Surround them. Would you do it? Just reach out to them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You right now that You've won the victory through Your Son, Jesus Christ. That He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, seated next to the Majesty on high. And all of His enemies has been put as a footstool. And that last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And when that last enemy is defeated, then the kingdom will be offered up to God and He'll be all in all. But, Lord, until that moment of perfection arrives, you're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. You are Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is present, the ever-present help in the time of need. Lord, you're above them and below them and behind them and before them and around them. And most of all, you're in them. And we're going to endure till the end. (laughs) Hallelujah. Bless them right now with your presence, Lord. Comfort their heart. Be the God of all comfort that comes to their side and lifts the weight and the load that they can't bear. And assure them that perfection's coming. (laughs) That completion is near. And everything that's lost will be restored. And everything that we think is gone will come back and every injustice will be justice and every unfairness will be made fair and every hurt will be healed and every tear wiped away and there will be no more death and there will be no more sorrow and we're going to live in that newness that you alone have provided for the end is coming (laughs) and until then we're going to be faithful to you bless them and keep them In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated just for a moment. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, You can't live without passion.